We continue in this series and we come to, again, a vital message. I would ask for you to please turn with me to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 and I'll focus on verses 7 and 8. Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. If you were reading the scripture from your phone or an iPad or you have your Bible, I just want you to to pray concerning God's word. Lord, help us today to honor and build our lives on your word. We want to be able to distinguish the difference between our way and your way, the world's way and your way. May this word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May it shape who we are and be the force behind how we make decisions. May it empower us for success in Jesus' name. Everybody said. I love these uh, applications that you can get on your phones now where when you take a picture, you can then... You can modify, tweak, improve the picture. You can literally today take a bad picture and make it good with the technology that's out there. You can, you can use those different apps, and once you apply the filter, it changes some of the reality. Today, when I talk about building your life on the Word, I'm talking about your worldview, which is that filter through which you see yourself, God, each other, past, present, future, how you view evil. It is the shaping force. It's through that filter that you have a worldview. There are different worldviews, and that's why there are so many arguments in the world. Two people can see the same thing and have a completely different viewpoint. I'll show you a picture here in a moment, and... It illustrates two people who saw the same thing, but they had a different viewpoint. And here it is. I was watching when that happened, and I thought, this, is, this, this is, has multiple sermons. Have you ever done that in your marriage? No, this is the way I see it. Well, no, this is the way I see it. In our culture right now, that's what's happening. We're looking at reality. We're looking at the same thing. And we have two completely different views. One referee is saying touchdown. Which had happened at the end of the game and was going to decide the game. Another referee said touchback. They were looking at the same thing, had a different view. As it relates to marriage, in our culture right now... We have people looking at marriage, and one group says it should be between a man and a woman. Another group says same-sex marriage should be endorsed, and, and churches should embrace it, and pastors 
should marry people of the same sex just like they do a man and a woman. Same thing, two different viewpoints. The filter through which we view things shapes our worldview. So today I'm talking about building our life on the word. Because as God said to Joshua, it is then that we have success. Every time we make decisions, we access the worldview database in our minds. It is how we decide what we decide. Our worldview is being informed all of the time. How you were raised has been a shaping factor on your worldview. I had the incredible blessing of being raised in a Christian home. Part of the routine was then going to church. And I have incredible memories of the shaping influence of life through experiences of teachers and situations that happen in that context. Of a Bible being in my home. Of a mom and dad who would pray for me and pray over me. And there's no doubt that it has shaped my worldview. As an adult, I have to decide where I I land on key issues. I have to make decisions for myself. But things have informed me over time. Same with you. Every song you hear, every movie you watch, every article you read, every news report. I, I don't care what news channel you watch. I just You know that it's, being, it's coming to you through a filter, which means it's coming to you through a worldview, which means that it's never going to be fair and it's never going to be balanced. I don't care who it is, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the way it is because it is being filtered and you are getting it through a certain worldview. And it's often very easy to distinguish the worldview. As it comes to our Christianity, we're to build our life on the Word. When you get saved, you then take all that you are and surrender it to the Lord. And this becomes the owner's manual. This becomes the directional leadership of your life. Jesus preached the greatest sermon of all time called the Sermon on the Mount. He came and he looked at a group of people and he said, Now you've heard it said, and he articulated the way they had heard life to work, and he said, But here's what I say to you. And he kind of carved out a whole new way of living. And he said, Now here's the way, walk in it. It it is contrary or it contradicts with what you've heard. But this is the way life works. This is what I say unto you. So they had a decision to make. Would they adapt and surrender and submit to the way of Jesus or continue with a life that responded out of the worldview that had been shaped in their heart? When we get saved, we get a new operating system. We get new software in our heart. It's a whole new way of viewing life. And so as we grow as Christians, we're clarifying our biblical worldview. And as a result, we then build our life on the word. And I just think it's important along the way to, to make sure we are clarifying a biblical worldview. The challenge in this day is to be culturally influenced. And if we assess our lives, we may assess that we're really more like cultural Christians than we are biblical Christians. Where we may find we've picked and choosed some values that, and some may not be necessarily by the word, they may be more informed by the world. 
So this is about clarifying our worldview in some ways and then making sure the challenge is clear to build our life on the word. So we could just kind of launch in at any place. I'll start here. The world says this, what matters most is how much you have. So life is about acquisition. The ism word is materialism. And so we're measured by our stuff. Now, we would say, well, what does the word say? Luke 12, 15 says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus says, don't measure yourself by what you have. That's not the way you assess your value. Your value is not determined by your valuables. And if you go the world's way and you buy into this worldview that the world shapes, you'll make some very destructive decisions. See how that works? And so we just have to be clear on this as we move forward. The world says whatever feels good is good. Because to the world, pleasure is God. And that's why the world's goal is comfort. The ism word there is hedonism. Maybe you remember this song. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. That's hedonism. Because it establishes that there's a standard. But because what I'm feeling is really my God, then even though it's wrong, I would rather be with you and be wrong than not be with you and be right. Because how can it be wrong? If it... See, it gets into the mix, and it's so closely connected to individualism. Where it's all about us. What does the Word say? Let's just put the Word right up against that, see what it says. Galatians 6, 8 says, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. So we need to understand in our own heart and then in influencing those around us, there is a result to our decisions. And if we make decisions based on the world's way rather than the word's direction, we harvest because there there are results to our decisions and we harvest decay. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life. Proverbs 21.7, this is message paraphrase, says, You're addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. So see, there, there it is. The, the world says go for pleasure, but you're going to create a monster within you. You're going to create an appetite that can never be satisfied. I have tried to go on a diet before, and I would go on diets by just like loading up. Because, like, if I, like, eat a lot, I won't be hungry. Like, like in my mind, I'm thinking, I, I know it starts tomorrow, so today, praise God, here we go. I'm going to get me from French silk pie. And so, I, but here's the thing. The more you eat, the more you want to eat. Can I get an amen? So, you, you create when you want pleasure. Here's, here's what the writer says. It says you're, you're on a pursuit that can never be satisfied. You'll always have to do more. You will always have to have more. And the wisest, wealthiest man ever wrote that 
like the guy who had everything and as much of it as he wanted, after he had had it and experienced it, he then looked back and reflected on it, and he says, I need to speak to this. And he said, life is not in the pursuit of pleasure. It's like grabbing the wind. You open your hand and it's gone. Hebrews 11.25 is another perspective. This is Moses. He said he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Very important verse. It tells us that sin is fun. We know that or we wouldn't do it. But it has a lifespan. There's a season to it. And that pleasure is not worth the cost. Right? Now the devil can deceive us and we miss that. And we still often make the sinful decision. But the pleasure is not worth the cost. Because for every kick, there's a kickback. The cost of sin is greater than the pleasure. We end up with a broken heart, a broken body, broken relationships, a messed up life. See, individualism is, is the stream of worldly thinking. And it says, I come first. And if I want it, I'm going to get it. If I want to do it, I am going to do it. In America, it's all about rugged individualism. That's self-centeredness. So advertising appeals to that and says you can have it your way and obey your thirst and broadcast yourself. So when we open up scripture and we find that Jesus would preach a message of self-denial, it's very unpopular. But yet when we deny ourselves, we find ourselves. When we deny ourselves, we experience the joy that, that God said we could know. So we, we've got to be willing to expose where the worldview completely contradicts with God's word and then choose. Which way are we going? Because as Christians, we are called to submit to God's word as the authority of life. Here's one. The world says government is God. And when government is God, then government should, should control everything. The ism there is socialism, collectivism. Now hear me carefully. There's nothing wrong with government. You can find scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament where there's an endorsement of government. There's nothing wrong with it. But people who don't know God are tempted to make government God because it's the highest thing they have to make the world a better place. And that's where, for some, politics can become a religion. There's nothing wrong with politics, nothing wrong with it at all. I encourage your involvement. Let me just, let me just point this out right here, that, that Matthew twenty two twenty one 21 says, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. So what, what is my role? What is my, what do I owe being a citizen of this country? I should obey the law. I should pay taxes. Doesn't mean I have to like it. I am a, I should be a responsible citizen. Now in this country, I as a citizen have the right to vote. And I think that it's appropriate for me to say that the opportunity to vote should be seen as the responsibility to vote. So I'll even put these on the screen. As we're in this political season, you should register to vote. 
you should pray about this decision and you should vote your values. Now, one of them is going to happen. If you're registered, then you're going to vote your values. You're, you're going, you've got a decision to make. And how you decide is going to be shaped by your worldview. Now, let me say right here, Philippians 3.20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Let me pause and say we have dual citizenship. We're a citizen of heaven. That means we have a higher moral authority than government. I do not owe government my life because government didn't die on a cross for me. I owe God my life. I have a responsibility to government. I've, I've spelled it out. But I owe God my life. And there may come a time where you've got to choose because you get caught in, in, in a place where a clear choice has to be made. Is it going to be God over government or government over God? It happened in the Bible. Here's one place where it happened. This is Acts 5. Didn't we tell you to never again teach in, the man's, in this man's name? He demanded. This is the local city council who called in these preachers. Instead, you have, to fight, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. You may be in that place someday to have to make a choice. Pastor Rick Warren, he pastors in California. Many of you have heard of him. He wrote Purpose Driven Life. He was asked to pray, and he prayed at President Obama's inauguration. Four years before, he prayed at President George W. Bush's inauguration. When he was invited to pray at President Bush's inauguration and President Obama's. Both times, the person who called, one from President Bush's office, one from President Obama's office, two different times, both told him, we want you to pray. The president had asked for you to pray at the inauguration, but you cannot say the name Jesus in your prayer. Both of them. And if you go back and listen to his prayer when President Bush was being inaugurated and President Obama, both times he used the name Jesus throughout his prayer. Because he felt he, at that point, had a choice to make. Matter of fact, when he prayed at President Obama's inauguration, when he came to using the name Jesus... He gave it in four different languages so nobody would misunderstand what he was saying. He said it in Arab, he said it in Spanish, he said it in Hebrew, and he said it in English. He got asked to pray at the Republican National Convention, the Democratic National Convention, and he said, I, I will not accept that invitation because those are political events, the inauguration is a historical event about our government. I'll pray there. But even there, he was asked to shape what he said and to not use the name Jesus. He was asked in both. And in both, he felt he should honor God in that situation. The Word says, well, let's just keep going here, that God has a purpose for every life, every unborn baby. It's called the sanctity of life. God planned your life before you were born. 
I want you to know that. There are, there are accidental parents, but no accidental babies. God is bigger than sin. He doesn't cause sin, but he is bigger than sin. I want to read to you scripture. What I'm about to read to you, the world does not believe. So this is a classic place where there is a distinct option and people are making a decision. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. This is Psalm 139, starting at verse 13. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. Now take in every word of these next two verses. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. See, God was watching over those details. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Before you were born. The Bible says before the foundations of the world. He knew. Don't you live a second thinking you're a mistake? You are an accident? You are not. God watched over the details of your development. He knew you'd be sitting in this room. It's overwhelming. The awesomeness of God. So let me say, it has never been and it will never be just a fetus. It is a person. No one would exist if God didn't want you alive. There comes a point where you have to speak for people who cannot speak up for themselves. Every single life is sacred. Now listen, the world doesn't believe what I just told you. So you have a decision about worldview. Will your worldview be informed by the world? Or will it be shaped by the word? I don't care. This has nothing to do with race. This has nothing to do with ethnicity. This has nothing to do with political party. It has nothing to do with that. This is a view built by God's spoken word, that life is sacred. And let me say this, marriage is sacred. What's the word say? Here it is, Matthew 19. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. You can debate economic recovery until Jesus comes, because the Bible does not spell out a strategy for economic recovery for a nation. So, so... Smart people can get together and fight it out. 
is about, you know, whatever. But there's, there's no negotiation when it comes to the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman, period. And there, there's no negotiation. The world does not believe that. And we as a church are never to be arrogant about the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. But we should never apologize because we believe in the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. Everybody is sharing their worldview. Go ahead without apology in spiritual courage and appropriateness. Step up and speak up for the biblical worldview. Every life is precious and marriage is between a man and a woman. The systematic dismantling of the family in this country is having huge impact. And we must see these places where the world has a view. Now, if we get arrogant in our position and angry, we will probably, without any doubt, diminish the impact of our witness to people who are caught in sin. We are still called by God to have compassion for people who have made all kinds of decisions because look at the decisions we made and but for the grace of God, where would any of us be? And though just because I believe in the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage does not mean I turn this into a, a place where a bunch of righteous people can come and gloat over their perfection. This is still a hospital for sin-sick people who are needing their life to change. I don't care what you've done, who you are, where you've been. You're welcome here. And we love you. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus can change your life. I'll never condone a life pattern that contradicts with God's word. But I'm not going to condemn you. I want you to come to the knowledge of the truth. I want your life to work. I just say this while I'm in this time. The day after the election, I will have no discouragement, no fear, no apprehension, because God will still be on the throne the day after the election. You should feel strong about your position. You should really pray. You should study the platforms of the candidates, all the candidates for everything that you'll be voted on. Uh, be voting on that is being responsible with the opportunity to vote. You should study that and pray through that. Matter of fact, Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen is the if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray. I know some churches, and it's a great idea. 7.14 every morning, pray for the country. 7.14 in the evening, pray for the country and 
Pray for the decision that we've got to make. I am so for that. Pray, seek the Lord. But here's the deal. If we as a people of faith will be fired up for Jesus, in love with Jesus, seeking Jesus, seeking to build our life on God's word, then we're going to be strong where we need to be strong, clear where we need to be clear, still compassionate. We'll be able to connect with people while we contend that there is no other way but Jesus whereby you can and must be saved. We'll be able to stand in compassion while we still contend that every life is sacred and marriage is between a man and a woman. But if you've gotten caught up in gender confusion... And if you are even attracted and there are people sitting in this room and you deal with attraction for someone of the same sex and you need to hear someone behind a pulpit like this say that attraction is not sin, it's your actions. It's what you do with the attraction. And if you will surrender to God, God will help you overcome temptation like he's helping people overcome the attractions that so appeal to them. There are some of you who can't imagine someone having an attraction to someone of the same sex. And there are people sitting here who can't imagine that you would have an attraction that would have your life going onto pornographic sites. And you're sitting in this church and you come to this church every Sunday and you are on pornographic sites every week. And the attraction to that, that's followed by that action, is sin. And God can help you. And God can help us all. All the way to the point, all the way to this. I'm a Christian. I know I should honor God with my body, but I still prefer donuts. I don't want oatmeal. Why don't we ever want what's good for us? When do you ever just love what is good for you? I would much rather have a donut. And if I had the time, I'd walk off this platform and go get a donut and then come back and keep preaching. I said, God, deliver me from from eating donuts. I drove by the donut store and I said, God, if there's no parking place, I'll take it as you're going to deliver me. And after I circled that donut place six times, a car backed out. I pulled in and said, it's the Lord's will. Give me a donut. We, get, we want these things that aren't good for us. I had a doctor tell me one time, you got to go from forks to knives. He said, you, you got to go from animal life to plant life. I said, brother, I may go on the second trip in the Great Tribulation. I may, I may go at the end of the Great Tribulation, but I'm just telling you, I'm going to eat me some chicken. <laughs> that's just the way I love. Anyway, that, that's not in any of this. Okay. So what I'm saying is that we should have. Here, here's the thing. The cultural influence here, our culture is crumbling. All right? And here's the result. We have major crisis in our homes and in our schools and in our courts. Our culture is crumbling because of this wrong view. So there's controversy in schools, in courts, and in homes. There's carnality 
There's carnality in government. There's carnality in our schools. There's carnality in our homes. And there's carnality in our church. The culture is crumbling. There's confusion. Confusion over the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage. There are all kinds of gender issues. What our teenagers are dealing with every day is something we never thought a culture would be dealing with. And they deal with it every day. And it, so many of these things have become the social norms. It's normal. And why would anybody, like, speak up against it? So there's all of this. And here's the deal. When we don't go by the owner's manual, we are the ones who get hurt. Our culture is crumbling because we don't go by the owner's manual. And today is a challenge of will I build my life on the word and what the word says? And do I know what the word says? Do I read the word? Because every show I watch, every article I read, every song I listen to, there is something coming through that is shaping worldview. And if I'm never spending time here, how can I lead my life? How can I lead my family? When my kids see two women holding hands or two men holding hands and they go, okay, what's that about? What do I say? What does God's word say? Not what, where I land. And if I don't know what the word says, what tends to happen and we're seeing it happen is that we pick and choose. We pick and choose the things that we like. Because at the core, we're individuals. We're, we are hedonists. We, we don't want it to be awkward or uncomfortable or difficult. So we will go for the way of least resistance. And so we go down the line of cafeteria Christianity and say, well, you know, I believe that you're only saved uh, by Jesus. Or maybe I think there are many ways to God. Uh, I, I don't think people should, should, you know, preach against lesbianism or homosexuality I, I think that God's a God of love and l let people do what they want so I'm not going to mess with, with that and so we pick and choose and what happens is that we aren't biblical Christians we are influenced by culture because maybe we don't even know what the Bible says so build your life on the word God says to us, as he said to Joshua, you'll be strong and successful. Study this book of instruction and don't deviate. Don't deviate. Don't deviate. And let me say this, don't edit. <laughs> I've seen some people on some television shows like pastors, and they're asked these questions. It's like if you were a batter, it's like right in the wheelhouse. That's the, that's the pitch you can knock out of the park. And they edited Don't edit. Let me give you a couple encouragements. Accept God's word as the authority. Accept his word as your authority. This word never lies. This is the rock that never changes. Build your life on what the word says, not what the world says. Give yourself to the word. Number two, spend personal time with Jesus. I think this is going to be the key to being out in the mainstream, to be in in culture and be an influence. 
when Peter was brought in by the city council and he was challenged about preaching in Jesus' name, all that was going on, here's what they ended up concluding. They said, you know what, he's, it, he's, he doesn't have formal education for what he's doing. But they said, we recognize he has been with Jesus. And if you're going to live according to biblical value, it will put you in contradiction with the world. And that is okay. But if they are going to be influenced, it, we can't espouse our positions out of anger at the world and anger at sinners. They need to see, I don't agree with them, but it is evident they have been with Jesus. Because there's a disposition, there is, a, there is an appropriateness in where we draw those lines. Where we are able to be like Jesus with the lady who was caught in the act of adultery. Everybody was standing with their stones ready to kill her. And Jesus said, time out, let he use without sin cast the first stone. And then he looked at the lady and here's what he said. He goes, now look, I don't condemn you. But listen, change. Don't keep living this way. So he didn't condone, but he didn't condemn. And that's our unique, spiritually empowered place. To be able to look at somebody and say, I do not agree with your choice of how you're living. And somehow there would be a force of compassion as we appeal to them how we think their life could work. And that, but for the grace of God, we would be broken and messed up. If we don't give ourselves to this and express some courage, then there is no way to know how far from biblical values we will be. What will be happening in the church. You look at other major denominations. They are now endorsing same-sex marriages. And the pastors and priests are performing the weddings. These are people that one day did not have that view. We are drifting. And drifting. And there's a subtlety to Satan's paralyzing poison. And we don't quite realize just how far... We have drifted. And so let's, let's point the finger at ourselves. And say, it's me, Lord, that's standing in the need of prayer. Because if this many Christians in this Tulsa region will let their light shine for God, we will make a difference. And it'll be a high impact. And people will be getting saved and salvaged from sin and its damage. They will be rescued and they will be repaired. I'll tell you, we got a messed up world. But way before the world got messed up, Jesus messed up his own life and became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Now you hear this because this, this may be hard to swallow. But you got to put this where we live. He messed up his life way before so that we could have redemption 
When I say he messed up his life, he became sin. He became all sin so that we might have an answer. So that well over two years ago, when a man came to this church, and he was invited, and he wouldn't come because he had no men's clothing. He came anyway. And God saved him. And saved him out of darkness and destructive life patterns and restored it. And I've watched all this time. And hardly anybody here has a clue. Because he's so transformed. And I don't care who you are or what you've done. You are welcome here. We do not condemn you. We do not in any way because there's not a one of us clapping that could clap but for the grace of God that took all of our misery and failure and horrible decisions and was willing to forgive us and to redeem us and restore us and give us a life of purpose that functions and works. So it's it's a hospital for the sick. It's a place for sinners to find Jesus. And it's a place of discipleship where we learn then to see life the way God sees it. To see God the way the Word says. To see ourselves the way the Word says. To see people the way the Word says. To see marriage the way the Word says. To see, I mean, we could do a whole, this is such a needed message. Hey, sex outside of marriage is sin. Okay? Premarital, postmarital, outside of the bond of marriage, it's sin. Because, why? Because that's what the word says. And it doesn't matter how good it feels. Here's the good news God created sex. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but it is, <laughs> got to have a little laughter along the way. <laughs> Come up for here. It's within the bonds of marriage. All right? So let's just put ourselves in this book until we're building our lives on it. And then life will work. The way of the transgressor is the hard way. It's the hard way. There is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is destruction. There's a, there's a right road, and it's the road to be on. And if you're not on it, you can be today.